You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. RCMP are investigating a devastating accident in Pitt Meadows. A child on their way to school has been killed in a fatal crash this morning. Kristen Robinson joins us live with more on what happened. Kristen. Chris, neighbors and community members continue to drop off flowers at the stop sign behind me where a 12-year-old boy was killed while cycling to school. It happened at the corner of 116A Avenue and 196B Street around 8.30 this morning, and it appears to be a tragedy for everyone involved. Ridge Meadows RCMP say they responded to a report of a child on a bike being struck by a recycling truck. Despite life-saving efforts by paramedics and firefighters, the boy died. The driver of the recycling truck remained on scene and is cooperating with police who say impairment is not believed to be a contributing factor. A floral memorial has been set up at the scene of the tragic collision as the community tries to come together to make sense of a devastating loss. This is just so close to home and I feel that, you know, for the parents, the firefighters today, the police force, you know, um, you know, and just the paramedics and my son is a firefighter, so, and, um, you know, they have to clean up and all that. It's just so overwhelming. RCMP are investigating whether rain or road conditions may have played a role. They're also asking for any more witnesses or anyone with dash cam footage from the area around the time of the fatal collision to come forward. Let's hope someone knows something, Kristen. Thank you. Well, rainfall warnings are up across the south coast tonight as the first atmospheric river of the fall hits B.C. The downpour comes after months of a severe drought. But as Grace Key reports, while it will help, it still won't be enough to fully recover. It was a rough early morning commute for many as heavy rains pounded city streets. Drivers were forced to maneuver around flooded roads and poor visibility as this season's first atmospheric river arrived. When we're talking about where we're expecting to see the heaviest rainfall and where we've seen it so far, yes, absolutely. The west side of Vancouver Island, they've seen over 180 millimeters of rain so far, with rainfall totals expected to be up to 200 millimeters or potentially more. The heavy rainfall is a relief for the Cowichan River. Last month, pumps began moving water from the lake to the river to maintain the flow for fish after the summer drought. Intense rains come as many parts of the province were hit with water restrictions over the summer because of the severe drought conditions, which parts of the province are still dealing with. So we are seeing, you know, certainly on that short-term uh, side of things, it is providing that acute uh, uh, recovery to some of those drought indicators like stream flow. The stream flows are high right now. They're, they're rising quite rapidly. It's really not enough to, to, to fully see that recovery, but it certainly is, is enough to, to improve those uh, shorter term uh, metrics related to drought. After a summer of wildfires and drought, this intense rain could lead to a risk of landslides due to a lack of vegetation, though the province says widespread or severe impacts are not expected with this system. By mid-morning, local flooding still impacted some drivers in the North Shore and high stream advisories were in effect for many parts of the region. Signs are up along the fast-moving Lynn Creek warning people to keep a safe distance. It's a popular area with hikers and dog walkers. First responders are reminding people to stay safe. Uh, the rivers are, are really high, banks are high. We want people to be extremely safe uh, while on the trails, uh, around rivers with their dogs especially. Um, just take some extra care out there. 
Um, it is really extremely wet and a lot of water. Residents are being asked to clear out those catch basins to prevent flooding on the streets and sidewalks. Grace Key, Global News. And meteorologist Yvonne Shell is here now with more on all of this rain and what we can expect over the next 24 hours. Yvonne? More rain still on the way, especially heavy at times this evening and then taking us in towards our Thursday morning before we start to see a brief break by tomorrow afternoon. Wanted to show a range. These are the rainfall totals that we've seen so far for a couple of regions. Sunshine Coast, upwards of 60 millimetres, but the hardest hit areas inland across the island between 70 and up to 120 millimetres and the western regions between 150 and up to 210 millimetres. What we can anticipate overnight and leading in towards our Thursday morning for the lower mainland 10 and up to 20 millimeters most areas extending in towards Howe Sound uh, along the Sunshine Coast and the western edge of the island an additional 20 and up to 30 millimeters of rain. We do have a brief break between systems. I'll have that coming up very shortly. Chris Soaf. All right. Thanks Yvonne. More frustration today for BC Ferries travelers. Another cruise shortage meant cancellations and multiple sailing waits. BC Ferries promises steps are being taken to fix the problems, but as Kylie Stanton shows us, results aren't coming fast enough for passengers or workers. Kylie. That's right, Chris. Earlier today, the lanes behind me here, they were jam-packed with vehicles. Travelers, many arriving at the terminal, only to find out they could be waiting all day to catch a ferry. It's a situation that has everyone, from passengers to politicians, calling for change. Two crew members call in sick Wednesday morning, and the dominoes fall. Absolute nightmare. It's chaos. We have flights to catch. Like this is the worst run company. Even before the first ferry set sail for the day, a wave of cancellations between Tawasson and Swartz Bay resulted in a three sailing wait off the mainland, seven to get off the island. You're on standby now. Hope for the best. <laughs> It's just another example of the fragility of the ferry system. Normally we are able to backfill positions, but unfortunately it was a couple of key uh, critical uh, positions that we just weren't able to backfill in time at 7 a.m. this morning. BC Ferries says minimum staffing requirements are mandatory under Transport Canada regulations to ensure safety in the event of an emergency. But the question everyone here is asking. Why are people not showing up for work? You know, I don't understand. On a daily basis, they're receiving negative interactions. And the escalation in those has increased uh, as BC Ferry service levels have decreased. You know, if people are getting uh, abused or assaulted at work, they're probably less likely to come in on their day of rest. Uh, there's also challenges with people's compensation. Earlier this month, the BC government said it was looking at introducing penalties for ferry cancellations due to lack of staff. And while work is being done to address the shortage, BC's transportation minister admits at this point. It's just not good enough. Still, politicians were left quite literally pointing fingers. When they decided that they were going to take control of the corporation, they have to be responsible and accountable for the terrible results that we're seeing. What makes them more accountable? Fines are, is one idea, but I think most of the effort is on helping them and uh, we'll continue to do that as a government. BC Ferries did manage to secure the necessary crew members for the vessel and compensated all affected passengers. It then scrambled to move the spirit of Vancouver Island out of dry dock and into service a day early. That should clear up the backlog of traffic that we've been seeing this morning. 
That was indeed what ended up happening here in Sports Bay. Everyone getting to where they needed to go earlier this afternoon. But between the ongoing staff shortages, mechanical issues and two vessels still out of service, many fear it's only a matter of time before we're back here again. Chris. Oh, you know it. Thanks, Kylie. A former high school teacher who murdered his pregnant wife 17 years ago has been granted full parole. Muktiar Pangali was convicted in 2011 and sentenced to life for killing his wife, Manjeet. Catherine Urquhart has more on the parole board's decision. Manjeet Pangali was four months pregnant and had a three-year-old daughter when her husband, Muktiar, strangled her to death and set her body on fire. Now he has been granted full parole. It's disappointing. Uh, it's enraging how ineffective the criminal legal system is in, in, in meting uh, any kind of justice for victims of intimate partner and domestic violence. Manjeet Pengali disappeared after attending a prenatal yoga class. Mukhtiar Pengali didn't report her missing for 26 hours, then at a press conference defended his delayed actions. We just wanted to make sure that, in fact, she she was gone, like that we have nobody within our immediate family who has an answer for us. Police found surveillance video of him buying a lighter and paper hours after Manjeet disappeared. This type of crime defies comprehension and the value of human life. He was convicted of second-degree murder and indignity to a human body and handed a life sentence. Now he has been granted full parole. Parole Board of Canada documents state Pengali will not present an undue risk to society if released on full parole. But they go on to say, particulars of your conviction also aggravate your risk. You fantasized about killing your victim for several months prior to the offense. The defilement of the victim's body indicates a significant callousness to your actions. Your remand behavior was poor, included substance abuse and attitude issues. And perhaps most troubling, you are assessed as a high risk of violence towards a partner. It's uh, jarring, actually, to see and to realize on a day-to-day -day basis how uh, how little the criminal legal system cares about victims. Pengali has been ordered to have no contact with the biological family members of the victim, including his daughter. Also, he must report all relationships and friendships with women and is not to consume or possess alcohol. Manjeet Pengali's family has declined to comment on the parole decision. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. Today marks a somber one-year anniversary of the death of Burnaby RCMP Constable Shailen Yang. Yang was fatally stabbed by a homeless man in a Burnaby Park October 18, 2022. A regimental funeral was held at the Richmond Olympic Oval about two weeks later. Yang, a member of the Mental Health and Homeless Outreach Team, was assisting a Burnaby Parks officer serving an eviction notice when she was attacked. The suspect, 37-year-old Jongwon Ham, has been charged with first-degree murder. Well, remember, Variety Week continues highlighting children who need life-altering therapies or equipment or who need the earliest possible access to treatment. And that's why we are asking you to donate to Variety all this week. And when you do, your name will be added to that growing list of donors, just like Ted and Judy Radford from Kelowna, Lynn Boyd from Surrey, and all those folks up on the screen right now. And when you donate during tonight's news hour, RBC will match your dollars 
So you should take advantage of their offer and call now. And thank you for your donations. There's even a John Steele on the list. I like that name, John Steele. All right. Lytton residents rally to recover their way of life. More than two years after fire destroyed their town, what they say is still holding them back from rebuilding. Next on the News Hour. Rehabilitated seals return to the wild. Why, it's a bittersweet moment for their caregivers later on the news hour. And healthcare vending machines, what you can get when you really need it. That's later. Right now, though, nearly two and a half years after wildfire destroyed the village of Lytton, not a single home has been rebuilt, and frustration is reaching a boiling point. Our Alyssa Thibault is in Lytton, and Alyssa, former residents and First Nations members gathered today demanding that process be sped up. Absolutely, and call for answers, Sophie. These empty lots used to be people's homes. They used to be people's businesses, and they look ready to build on, but that hasn't started yet. Residents want to know why. They want to know when it'll happen, and patience is wearing thin. Hey, ho, ho! AEW has got to go! Hey, hey! The cry of residents who have had enough. Dozens of people from the village of Lytton and surrounding towns and First Nations marching in protest, angry at how long it's taking to rebuild. There's probably 3,000 people that rely on this community for our basic services, but now we got nothing. I got a jug of milk, it's an hour drive. It's been more than two years since most of Lytton burned to the ground. Contaminated soil has finally been removed, but no construction has started. And there's a lot of you know impatience because um, there's not any sharing of plans, no sharing of timelines. Lytton's indigenous history spans back generations, and the discovery of archaeological artifacts and remains after the fire caused rebuilding delays. Residents say they've been kept in the dark by AEW, the First Nation-owned company contracted to do the archaeological work. We don't know what's been found in each person's area. As a Lytton Station member, I'm really curious to find, like, you know, this was our village, this is our place. And so what has been discovered, it's been two years. Adding to the frustrations, extra costs. I had an eight-foot basement on, on the bottom, and, and they're telling me I have to pay $16,000 to the anthropologist in order to dig eight feet into the ground here on my lot. Nikiwiston James fled the fire in her pyjamas while her home burned. She set up a teepee on her property in protest. That's my statement. You know, you are not going to make me move. AEW, the company carrying out the archaeological work, told Global News in an email that crews were not on site during the protest due to safety. A statement also saying in part the assertion that archaeology has delayed the recovery and remediation is a false narrative based on misinformation. The scope and schedule of the recovery, remediation and backfilling stages is what drives the schedule, not the archaeology. And the company also tells us they've uncovered thousands of artifacts, including one spear point that dates back more than 7,500 years. But for the residents here, well, the desire to preserve these historical items does not trump their desire to go home. Sophie? Alyssa Thibault and Lytton. Alyssa, thank you. First Nations and environmental groups are in court demanding the federal government take immediate action to save a forest that's home to the critically endangered spotted owl. 
Cassidy, or Cassidy Moscone reports from a little parcel of land near Spuzzum where it's believed there's only one wild-born owl left. Spotted owl is one of Canada's most endangered birds. They used to call the steep forested hills above BC's Fraser Canyon home. Now there's only one left. This is an absolute emergency situation. We're at the brink of losing this species here in Canada. Owl advocates say the government signed their death certificate. The Wilderness Committee taking the Federal Environment Minister to court to prove it. The Federal Minister of Environment, Minister Stephen Guibault, was made aware of imminent threat to spotted owl habitat back in January and he delayed his recommendation for an emergency order for the better part of the year. The group claims that delay was unlawful, also taking aim at the province. Logging is a provincial jurisdiction. That we even went to the federal government to request this emergency order in the first place speaks to the lack of responsibility and the lack of accountability by the BC NDP government. Um, they're failing to step up and to stand up to the logging industry and protect this owl's habitat. Federal Cabinet ultimately rejected the emergency order last month. We asked Environment Canada what took the minister so long to get it to them. They didn't respond. Instead, telling Global News logging has been deferred in that area until 2025. Chief Hobart says that's not true. They're extremely significant to us. They're actually our messengers of uh, the old growth. They tell us, uh, you know, the health of it. You know, even their feathers to us were... Uh, of uh, royalty, right? We would use them in our royal regalia. So it's extremely sad. We've done a couple of things on Spotted Owl. One is created a whole breeding program. It's first of its kind in the world, as well as setting aside 280,000 hectares of old growth habitat. The hearing is expected to wrap up tomorrow, but lawyers here tell me a final decision could take months. Cassidy Moscone, Global News. Coming up, the Grinch who stole Christmas. Christmas? Right? Don't take away Christmas. <laughs> Langley residents frustrated. A holiday tradition seems to have been forgotten. And a new program to bust drunk drivers and how it needs your help to succeed. The wet weather continues to impact the afternoon commute with a lengthy delay still for Highway 1, leaving the Cathedral Tunnel headed east into Burnaby. Luckily, it's steady here at the Patello Bridge. Today's Lotto 649 Gold Ball jackpot is $20 million, plus the classic $5 million jackpot, two jackpots on every drop. In the Global Traffic Center, I'm Amber Belzer. A reminder, it's Variety Week, and we want to thank our generous viewers like Wilma and Jim Brock of Harrison Mills, who you'll see on that list, and all the others who've donated to Variety. And don't forget, all your donations made during tonight's news hour will be matched by RBC up to $25,000. Thank you, RBC, for stepping up and helping BC's kids. You can go online or you can give uh, 310 Kids a call to make your donation and have it matched this hour. Go ahead and do it. All right, right now, a new road safety initiative is encouraging all motorists to keep an eye out for impaired drivers and report them if you see them. The initiative has been launched by MAD Canada, the City of Vancouver, Vancouver Police and ICBC. 
Signs have been posted in Vancouver reminding drivers of the severity of drinking and driving and to flag drivers suspected of being impaired behind the wheel. If you see an impaired driver, you are asked to pull over safely, call 911 and provide any basic information you might have, including the make of the car, the license plate, what is happening and the direction of travel. Representatives say the timing of this campaign is more important than ever. It is coming, to, we're coming close to the holiday period and we find that impaired drivings tend to steep to go up um, during this time. So this is an awareness campaign that's been brought about by, uh, uh, with great support of the City of Vancouver, ICBC and um, the VPD. This has real impacts on families and friends. As we heard earlier from VPD, I can't imagine knocking on the door of someone's home and telling them that they've lost their son or daughter to an impaired driver or to impaired driving. And so for me, this is about reinforcing how important it is to find a safe ride home. Now, while the signs are posted in Vancouver, drivers are urged to practice the campaign everywhere in the Lower Mainland. A holiday tradition for more than 30 years in Langley is in danger of disappearing. Langley staff will no longer be helping set up or take down the Williams Park Christmas lights. And organizers are scrambling to find volunteers. Janet Brown has the story. Christmas in Langley's Williams Park has been a family event for 32 years. From the entranceway is when the magic happens. But organizers say this year it may not happen. It's a family tradition for many families for many years and all of a sudden it feels like the rug has just been taken out from underneath us. For the last five years, township staff have been setting up and taking down the lights at the park, but now the manager of parks operations for the township has told the Christmas in Williams Park Society that staff won't be doing it this year because of the cost, estimated around $55,000. It's pretty huge for us. Um, we are just a small society uh, run by volunteers. I mean, Christmas, right? Don't take away Christmas. <laughs> We want that, right? We'll get all the information together and we'll consider the future of this event. The mayor says council hasn't discussed any of this, but it'll be on the agenda at Monday's council meeting. It's not a township of Langley event, and I think that that's an important distinction. And I think we want to work with societies that want to work with us rather than go on social media and call us Grinches. And he says the township provides the space and electricity at the park free of charge. This is an issue of township staff setting up and tearing down the displays and I think it's appropriate to look at that again at one of the largest grants the Township of Langley would be doing. Heck this is about Christmas. This is about something that should be positive and bring people together and it's unfortunate that this has turned into something that's actually kind of creating division and bringing people apart. We're going to string icicle lights along the eaves. The society you know, says because of the late cool. notice they're facing a next to impossible situation getting volunteers. We're hoping that the family-led event that has been here for generations will co continue. You drive through and it just brings the Christmas joy. And I think everybody needs that joy in their life right now. Merry Christmas! Merry Christmas! The society will be making its case for ongoing support at council Monday afternoon. Janet Brown, Global News. Just ahead, escape from the conflict zone. The first siren went off. And I knew that was a bad sign. A BC resident returns from Israel carrying guilt for leaving behind her family and friends.
Plus, BC Care aides say their jobs are so bad, nearly half are ready to quit. The risk to the seniors they care for. Coming up. It's a busy go for the Richmond Bridges this afternoon. Here's the Arthur Lang Bridge, busy in both directions. It's still congested southbound Oak from south of 57th with a crash northbound just before 70th. Kermac Collision and Autoglass's newest location is in Vancouver on Southwest Marine Drive, conveniently located between Canby and Oak. Kermac, the most trusted name in collision repair for over 50 years. In the Global Traffic Centre, I'm Amber Belzer. A Vancouver woman has returned from Israel after being caught up in the recent violence. As Sarah MacArthur reports, even after spending days in bomb shelters and scrambling to find a flight out, her ordeal didn't really register until she got home. From the moment Hamas militants stormed into Israel, for visitors there was an urgent need to leave the country. An escalating war, though, meant getting out was complicated. Jean Gerber side. was traveling with a friend. The first sign of conflict, an air raid siren that forced them to take shelter. That's where we spent the next two days, going in and out and in and out every time the siren went off. And then you begin to hear the planes, then you'll be hearing the pops as they intercepted the missiles. Gerber, torn between her children's strong suggestions she leave immediately with her desire to stay and help any way she could. Ultimately, she made the choice to go. By Monday, our kids had all phoned in and said, you have to come out, you have to come home. Even though I, I feel like we kind of abandoned them to their fate. Getting one of the last commercial flights out of Tel Aviv last week, she flew first to Istanbul and then home to Vancouver. The enormity of the violence didn't hit her for a full week after the initial atrocities committed by Hamas. Last Saturday morning when I was back here, I went to synagogue with my family and they recited a prayer I have never heard. It is a prayer for the release of captives. Gerber hasn't watched the news since she returned home, still trying to come to terms with her emotions. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. Well, taking care of seniors is a tough job made even more difficult throughout the pandemic. And a new poll shows many care aides believe it's no longer worth it. As Richard Zussman reports, they say working conditions are so challenging, half are thinking about leaving the profession. They go to work to make sure seniors feel better, but now it's clear just going to work or making care aides feel worse. Years of low wages, the heavy workloads, and pandemic burn, uh, burnout mean frontline seniors care workers are leaving their jobs. A new poll commissioned by the Hospital Employees Union producing some staggering results. Nearly 51% of care aides say they don't have enough time to meet patient needs due to staffing shortages. And it goes up to 68% saying they're pushing patients through basic needs due to staffing shortages. That would be including things like toileting, bathing, grooming and feeding. And we all know that seniors deserve to receive proper unrushed care. More than 82% of workers say they are subject to violence or aggression. Nearly 43% say the workload has gotten worse over the last two years, and nearly half are now more likely to leave their job. This poll really points to an alarming picture of the pressures facing 
those on the front lines today and other challenges in retaining and recruiting uh, the essential health care workers. When asked about the troubling findings, BC Health Minister Adrian Dix talked about levelling of wages, bringing health care workers back into the system and providing additional protection for frontline workers. The HEU and the BCNU and the HSA proposed that we change our security system in acute care. We added, uh, we've added over 320 positions. The Hospital Employees Union is still calling on the province for a standard level of wage for all care aides across the private and public system. BC United leader Kevin Falcon says this poll is another example of government's failure within the health care system. I've met with a lot of those care aides, those nurses uh, and doctors frankly within the system. Our system, our health care system is at risk of total implosion. Right now there are more than 38,000 care aides in BC but with an aging population population. More than 3,000 are needed right now just to keep up with basic needs. Richard Zospin, Global News, Victoria. Island Health is rolling out free harm reduction vending machines in three communities battling the toxic drug crisis. The care and connection kiosks will be placed outside the emergency departments at hospitals in Victoria, Nanaimo and Campbell River. Those in need can discreetly access life-saving supplies like naloxone kits, even condoms, as well as information on treatment, community resources, and mental health supports. As of August, 304 people have died from toxic drugs in the Island Health region this year. The kiosks will be available 24-7 beginning later this month. Coming up, Seal Pup Celebration. Once the release is done, yeah, they're on their own. The crew that nursed them back to health and why it's hard letting them go. Also coming up in sports, why Whitecaps coach Vanny Sartini had to have a little conversation with his landlord. Well, of course, it is halfway through Variety Week now, and we want to thank all of our viewers who've supported Variety, like Jim Olson from Nanaimo. Thank you, Jim. When you donate, your name will be added to the list, just like Jim's, and Sandra Morrison from Duncan, too, and all those names on the screen right now. And RBC is doubling your dollars tonight, so please call now. Barbara Baker from Maine Island. Way to go. Thank you very much. All right, now, being a new immigrant to Canada comes with challenges, but when your child has an underlying medical condition, navigating a brand new life can be overwhelming. And even though Variety has been able to help Hargun, funding shortages have meant his family remains on a wait list for the support he needs to thrive. Variety has a great impact on our family. They change our life. So uh, Variety has a great importance in our life. Nine-year-old Hargoon was born with a rare inherited condition that affects many parts of his body, particularly his bone marrow, pancreas, and blood cells. It also affected his hearing, something his family did not discover until they came to Canada in 2020. At that time, uh, we were shocked because in India, doctors uh, didn't conduct any hearing test. In India, we were much worried about his speech and we told the doctor to do any test. Why he not speaking? They told he will speak, in, uh, speak later. But a hearing test conducted at BC Children's Hospital revealed Hargoon had been struggling to hear for years. They find that Hargoon having a mild to moderate hearing loss in both ears. That's why he is not speaking properly. 
the single-income family turned to Variety to help fund a pair of hearing aids for Hargoon, which dramatically improved his ability to communicate. Variety also provided Hargoon with a grant for speech and language therapy sessions, giving him the tools he needed to learn to speak. Muddy shirt. And while weekly sessions have shown great improvement in Hargoon's ability to express himself, they are still not enough. If he could get more funds, he should. He would definitely benefit from more sessions. He is showing a lot of progress, but he can do so much more. He has a lot of potential. The funds from Hargoon's grant for speech and language have now been exhausted, and his family will have to turn to Variety again to support their son's needs. But what happens if Variety does not have the resources to renew applications? Then Hargun would be one of those who just fall out, fall through the cracks. So today was his last session. We have to wait until the grants get renewed. We will again resume. And I am so worried about Hargun that he is going to lose what he got with the therapy sessions. By being said, I really hope Variety could provide grants to Hargun again so he could get what he should get and what he needs. Uh, thank you for sharing your story, Hargoon. Nice to meet him in the studio today, too. He needs help all year long, which is why monthly giving is so important. All new monthly donors to Variety will have their first year of giving matched, making twice the impact for kids in B.C. So please call the number on your screen. 310KIDS, 5437, right now. So easy to give and so appreciated by so many families in B.C. For sure. All right, Yvonne is here now with a look at our weather forecast and a lot of green coming our way. <laughs> yeah, still a soaker this evening. Still anticipate to see waves of heavy rain. This will take us in towards tomorrow morning. And then as we get in through the afternoon, a much-needed break will be in between systems. But this atmospheric river has stalled, especially along the south coast. And the hardest-hit area where the bulk of the moisture has been falling is along the western edge. And it's been that moisture. It has been mild, though. That's the silver lining, but we have seen a significant amount of rain. Most areas 10 and up to 20 millimeters. These are additional amounts along the Sunshine Coast and the western regions, though. We'll still see an additional 20 and up to 30 millimeters of rain. Wanted to show you the rainfall totals with the rainfall warning. We could see 15 up to 90 millimeters with those higher amounts right along the North Shore Mountains, but it's the western edge that's been the big concern where we could see upwards of 200 millimeters closer to 240 and inland across the island between 90 and up to 140 millimeters of rain. Now, the Northeastern corners of the province, a different weather story. We do have some breaks in there with some sunshine in the mix. Central interior through the day tomorrow, we'll see a few isolated showers. Drier conditions for the southeastern corners of the province. Whistler and areas near Howe Sound, though, still heavy rain at times for tomorrow morning. All areas along the south coast and the lower mainland with that rainfall, so anticipate that for work and school for tomorrow morning. And then easing off to a chance of showers by the afternoon. A brief break Friday night and the start of the weekend so far. On Sunday, if you're making plans for the weekend it'll be wettest on our Sunday now tonight's weather window gorgeous shot this one was taken by Souk capturing Angela capturing a rainbow there wow that one will have like some pretty serious pots of gold yeah <laughs> either end of the rainbow I think for sure one. that was beautiful all right uh, Squires here with a look at sports and um, yeah Canucks uh, coach wasn't exactly happy after the last game I mean it's only game three of 82, but Rick Tockett, yes, was not happy with how his guys played in Philadelphia yesterday. We got to go to the drawing board with some guys here. They're going to pick it up. Boy, like, uh, can't throw goose eggs again. 
Yeah, the Canucks didn't really follow his plan at all against the Flyers, and he wants basically a change of attitude immediately. All right, also ahead. We'll be uh, heading back to the waters off of South Bowen today. Four seals say goodbye to the people who nursed them back to health. All right, time for sports. Things looked so promising. <laughs> they did, didn't they? <laughs> that 8-1 start. Yeah. Yeah, well, you know, it's like a roller coaster. It's early, yeah, it's early. Yeah, I know. <laughs> uh, last night, Rick Tockett sounded a lot like Travis Green and Bruce Boudreaux when they had to watch the Canucks play a game with the intensity level of somebody lounging at the beach. Tockett was already not that happy with his team after Vancouver's win over Edmonton last Saturday because in that game... The Canucks allowed 40 shots on goal, and they only won because their goalie, Casey DeSmith, was great, and Edmonton's goalie, Stuart Skinner, was tragic. Last night, Vancouver allowed 42 shots against the Flyers, a team they are better than. And because of that, after the game, Tockett wasn't holding back. It's, it's a good lesson for us, you know. It's a good lesson. You know, who are we to think we're anybody? Like, we were just off all over. We were off every single system part of it, and then the compete wasn't there. They competed, we didn't, bottom line. I mean, like as you guys saw, it, that's the bottom line. I really have anything to say. It's no, no compete. And then we tried at spurts, but it's not good enough. And tomorrow the Canucks are in Tampa Bay. And speaking of people in Tampa Bay, Mark Friedman, who was traded to Vancouver yesterday from Pittsburgh, has joined the Canucks. He was at practice this morning, and the way things went last night, you just heard from Talkett. Who knows? Friedman might get in the lineup tomorrow. He is a former Penguin, and as we know, the Canucks do love their ex-Penguins. All right, so because of that, we'll show you Akita Hiroshi, because Akito Hiroshi is going to go to the Abbotsford Canucks. Actually, he hasn't played in Abbotsford yet. He uh, played two games for Vancouver this year and seven games last year. But Abbotsford will love having him there, and he'll learn in Abbotsford. He will learn how to play. He's actually a very good player, but he needs some time. And uh, Abbotsford opens up this Friday at home against Calgary. All right. Let's talk a little Vanny Sartini. Because the Vancouver Whitecaps, as we know, are going to the playoffs. That is for sure. We don't know where they're going to be in the playoffs, who they're going to play in round one. But the general thought has been that if the Whitecaps make the playoffs, then Vanny Sartini would get a new contract. Now, Vanny and the Whitecaps have talked at various times this season. It hasn't happened yet, but Vanny himself says he thinks it's close to happening. It's rare that a head coach of a pro sports team is the face of the franchise, but that's exactly what and who Vanny Sartini is. Mention the Whitecaps to a neighbor or a co-worker, and chances are they'll talk about Vanny before mentioning a player. Currently in the final months of his existing contract, Sartini's on the verge of signing a new, well-earned deal after initially taking over from Mark Dos Santos, who was fired late in the 2021 season. There's Sartini led that squad into the playoffs, and for now the second time in three seasons, will once again be on the pitch in the postseason. Well, I can tell you that... Uh, uh, so during the season, I know that there was this kind of pressure. It was in my, I was in my last year of contract, and uh, uh, I would say uh, we were. Uh, we know that it's a business of results, so we are we are judged for the results. So at the moment, we are actually talking about the future, but uh, 
uh, I think the most important thing now is the present and try to be concentrated on doing the, our job and uh, again, and then we'll, we'll have all the time to be uh, on the same page and be here. For a guy who was initially hired as an assistant and then spent the majority of his time leading the Whitecaps Academy program, Sartini has proven his worth as a head coach. Yes, he's connected with the fans, but more importantly, he's done the same with his players. The Caps have won back-to-back -back Canadian championships and now have a legitimate chance of making a deep run in the MLS playoffs. I, I realize that, uh, like everything in life, sometimes you have to compromise in the sense that uh, uh, you can have the best ideas or you can be very sure that your idea is the best, but you need to be sure that the player believe that too. So sometimes you need to maybe do a step back in order to do two steps forward. And right now the next step forward is a new contract which will happen sooner than later. I think we're, I think we're pretty close, uh, to be honest. So, you know, I want to be here for the 50th anniversary of the club, so that's the thing. <laughs> and Nathan Rourke has been brought up to the Jacksonville Jaguars main roster for tomorrow's game against New Orleans. He's on the roster as insurance because starting quarterback Trevor Lawrence has a knee issue. He's listed as questionable. Now, if Lawrence doesn't start, veteran C.J. Beathard, who is the number two quarterback, would take over the team. But Rourke would be dressed. And if he's needed, he could go out there because if Lawrence can't play, then Rourke would be the backup. All right. Thanks, Squire. Be great, if, great if he got a shot. All right. Thank you. A celebratory farewell to some furry friends that we'll seal with a kiss next. Not a... All right, Andrew is here now with a look ahead to Global News at 11. And Thanks, Sophie. A boil water notice is in effect for Prince Rupert. Northern Health putting out the notice after multiple breaks in the water mains yesterday, including a valve break adjacent to the city's reservoir. We'll be speaking to the city's mayor tonight for an update. And the next phase of the bidding process is going ahead for the Massey Tunnel Replacement Mega Project. Three teams have been given the green light to submit their bids to build the proposed eight-lane tunnel linking Richmond and Delta. The estimated cost of the project now at 4.15 billion dollars the winning bid expected to be announced in the spring sophie chris all right thanks ann the vancouver aquarium's marine mammal rescue society is celebrating great success releasing a group of harbor seal pups back into the wild and as hard as it is to say goodbye it's the best outcome for the animals and their caregivers global bc's community reporter safia parani was along for the release a chilly October morning, but a story enough to warm hearts. Four harbor seal pups who are in the care of the Vancouver Aquarium Marine Mammal Rescue Society are returning home and being released back into their natural habitat just south of Bowen Island. We have happy camper, uh, chill pill, race rocks and danger reefs today, so all ready to go. Thanks. This also marked the second seal release since the Vancouver Aquarium Marine Mammal Rescue Society officially became an independent registered charity. There he goes. <laughs> After more than 60 years, with donations now going directly towards supporting the facility and its work with distressed animals. These four pups um, were fairly local or in and around Gulf Islands and uh, off of Souk. 
According to the society, rescued pups typically spend an average of eight weeks undergoing rehabilitation. <laughs> Simply put, members work to get them healthy and fat so they can eat fish on their own and survive in the wild. And then you just lift the whole thing up. They're almost like human babies. Uh, some are very outgoing, some are very quiet and almost scared of water, and some are a little bit naughty. <laughs> And once they're back in the wild... They're on their own. They're wild seals. And um, basically, the only way to identify them is through uh, an orange flipper tag that we affix to their hind flipper. Okay, go, buddy. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> but they usually never swim away without one final goodbye. Safia Parani, Global News. I mean, these days, kids always move back. <laughs> yeah, you, know, you hope they don't in this case, but, you know... Good luck to them out in the wild, for sure. All right, Variety Week. Let's take a look at the donations because each donation has a huge impact on a child's life. Yeah, and when they add up, it's a huge impact. So right now, Variety can help 220 kids thanks to your donations and the generous match from RBC. And there's still time to make a difference, so please call now, 310-KIDS. All right, Yvonne, Atmospheric River. Atmospheric River uh, still heavy at times. The rainfall taking us in towards uh, tomorrow morning should ease off. An ice break is on the way. It'll be showers by the afternoon tomorrow, but still heavy at times tonight. Thanks to Trevor and Suliana for watching us tonight. A couple <laughs> kids from Musqueam. We appreciate it. Thanks for watching. Have a good night. Good night, all.